and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online 24-7 here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. When you get to that location, just well, you can't miss it. There are two, um, two links, the first of which takes you to the most recent, well, the top of, on the top of the list, those are our, it's our podcasts, and the first podcast on the list is this one, the one you're listening to right now. You may have gone through that podcast link. Or the second link on that page is our radio loop, as we have been calling it, and aptly. Uh, descriptively, it simply is this show happening in a loop, and it kind of gives you a radioish, analogish feel about listening to Center Left Radio. You pick up the show at whatever point you happen to click into it, analogishly, and uh, listen in, get a, get interested, and stick around uh, because if if uh, you'd like to know how it all began, well, it will begin again. It will resurrect. It will rise from its own ashes within seconds of the show ending. It will begin again. And of course, you can pick us up wherever, wherever you find your podcasts. In that case, simply look for Center Left Radio. It is the 6th of June, 2023, um, and, and, it, and it took watching uh, MSNBC this morning, early, well, yeah, it's, it's quite early right now, but earlier this morning, although, although this time of the year, uh, it's very, the, the sky is, is bright by, I, I, I noticed that by as early as 4 35, 4.30 in the morning, that gives you an idea of sometimes the time that I'm up, um, there is first light in the sky. You are seeing around here at, at uh, is it uh, 41 degrees north latitude? I'm trying to remember what our latitude is here uh, in the New York Hudson, the lower Hudson Valley region of New York State. I believe we're at 41 degrees uh, north latitude, but in any event, this time of the year, as we approach the summer solstice, that'll be coming in the next uh, 15 days or so, um, you have an awful lot of light in the course of the day. And, and it's, it's really kind of wonderful to just think about how in the course of any one year, there's actually a difference of six hours of daylight uh, from the from the uh, from the point of the uh, equinox to the solstice, well, not the equi. I, I guess it would yes. From the the solstices are at both ends of the equinox. So uh, one solstice is where uh, the sun is striking the earth the most. The other solstice is quite the opposite. It's amazing to think about it. And uh, that, that point keeps getting made in, in a lot of the, uh, uh, the weather reports that you keep hearing on the air of late. It's almost as though there's a countdown to that moment. Looking, they're, they're, the, the stations are always looking for more and more and more to focus us on, more, more bright, shiny objects for us to be, to be seeking and diving into the water after. Uh, knowledge of when the longest or shortest days of the year will occur, well, Lightwise, anyway, the, the time is pretty much the same, seems to be among those shiny objects. But today, in particular, again, listening to MSNBC this morning, something bright and shiny, I would have to think of it as, uh, re having to do with this day itself in history, was thrown out there. I don't think it'll be thrown out there more than today, so perhaps it doesn't, it doesn't you know, rise to the, or sink to the standard of, of ongoing shiny objects in the water that we chase, like the knowledge of when the light will be strongest or weakest. But it's something worth pursuing and remembering 
just the same. And it's more than one thing. Amazingly, June 6th carries two remarkably strong memories. June 6th, 1944 marks the start of the invasion of Normandy, best known as D-Day, when uh, the largest single amphibious assault uh, in all of history began uh, under General Eisenhower. Uh, Allied troops, American troops primarily, but Allied troops began the process of taking back Europe from Adolf Hitler. Okay, and, and this, of course, while there is a war going on in the, in the Pacific simultaneously. But Americans decided that the, 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 the best thing for the planet, and it, it may not have been, you know, it, it wasn't as though uh, there was a German occupation of, uh, of Chattanooga or New York City or anything of that sort, although there had been German U-boats uh, that actually had it winds up, if you check the history on this, uh, there was uh, occasional shells lofted uh, in the direction of Long Island by German U-boats that had managed to make it that far. Nothing of any great consequence ever happened. So yeah, Germany was able to make it to U.S. shores during the course of the Second World War. But no, nothing like what was happening in Europe, nothing even close uh, was happening in the United States. There was all the political intrigue. There was all of the uh, uh, nationalistic uh, and anti-this and pro-that and anti-war and pro-war and all the arguments for not doing it. But in the end, Americans and our government decided that the future of the world and therefore either our immediate future politically and, 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 and uh, from, a, from a perspective of our, our immediate freedoms, or perhaps the, 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 the nature of freedom itself, the nature of what we believed in, our capacity to, to basically sit back and, and stand down while something horrific as Hitler and Nazism was taking over the land that basically was the homeland of the vast majority of people in the United States. Our capacity to sit back and just watch that happen, it, it wasn't in us. We got involved. We recognized that it was necessary. We recognized who bad guys were. We could, we could tell what a bad guy was. We, we couldn't out-politicize ourselves. We couldn't silo information, enough information, to blind ourselves to the notion of who was a bad guy. And yes, there were plenty of people who, for plenty of different reasons, thought it would be a bad idea to go to... Uh, Europe, uh, especially to invade, uh, to invade from France, take back France, and work our way in towards Germany, link up with the Russians, uh, and uh, and we had Canadian and and we had British troops that were with us at that point, and uh, there were all sorts of reasons that all sorts of people had for us not getting involved that way. But in now, in the long lens of history, and looking over our shoulders. Uh, is it how many years now? 1944 to 2023, do the math, 56 plus 23, we've got 79 years, or is it 89? Uh, well, whatever. I forget, you know, you have to carry a one somewhere in there. Um, we did the right thing. We know we did the right thing. We basically set Europe on a path that had we not, had we left Nazism in place and it would have remained in place, the world would be quite different. American dominance would be different. Our capacity to live as we live would be utterly and completely different under, under the most, under the most uh, illiberal of, 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 of calculations at this point. 
I don't mean politically. I mean just any any cursory calculation suggests how different our lives and how different the world would be if America did not decide that evil was something that we should confront, that something about history made it necessary for us to react, something about how the way we were formed and how our psyches were assembled made it necessary for us to react to that level of horrific, horrible persecution and, and, and evil in the world. Which brings me to the second event of this day, of June, of June 6th. And this particular event was, uh, occurred on, in 1968. About, uh, we're, we're talking, well, geez, you know, when you think about it, only 24 years after D-Day in Europe. Only 24 years. My goodness. I was, uh, I was still a kid. I was a teenager. And I was, I was working that day. Um, I, had, I had basic, actually, it was on the, both the 8th and the 9th, I was scheduled to work. Oh, no, no, the 6th, I'm sorry, the 6th and the 7th, both June 6th and June 7th. I remember this clearly. Both days I was scheduled to work the day shift at Rice Pavilion at St. Vincent's Hospital in Greenwich Village. Now, that was a psychiatric, a private psychiatric hospital that was part of the larger St. Vincent's Hospital complex. The, it's no longer there. The, 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 uh, it, it consisted of a series of buildings that pretty much ran the, the length of the block uh, from 6th Avenue to 7th Avenue. Uh, from Yeah, from 6th to... From seven, yes, yeah, 6th to 7th Avenue, uh, and from 12th Street to Greenwich Avenue on the other side. And eventually, sometime after 9-11, these buildings were all gutted. St. Vincent's Hospital pretty much shuttered its doors and were turned into a very high-end uh, condominium. But I was scheduled to work at the psych hospital that morning. I was still in college. And the 6th was a normal day. I was working days at the time. It was, it, was, it was the summer. During the winter, I worked three days at night from 4 to midnight, then, went, then, then uh, went to class during the day, and I would travel by subway down to, uh, down to Greenwich Village and then back up to the Bronx where I lived. It was uh, a lot of running around, but I, I needed the money. Uh, that's just how things were, and I had to work, and I did. I'd worked through, I'd worked through uh, college. I worked through uh, law school. I had a full-time job and, and went to school at night. That's just how it was, and I did it. I, I, I guess I sort of envied the kids who didn't have to do that, but I did, and uh, I'm happy for it. I learned about working <laughs> and, and, and surviving uh, on your own. Uh, it was a good thing to learn. But the 6th was a pretty normal day, and a lot of us were following the uh, campaign, which was in full swing and looked like it was really taking off the campaign of Bobby Kennedy. And that night, we knew, uh, actually, he was heading out the next day. He was heading out to California, and that would have been on June Let's see now, wait a minute. The, the fifth, I'm sorry, the fifth, he, he was, I, I think, I forget where he was, but it was the sixth then, that day, he was heading out to California. And you know what happened the night of the sixth. He was assassinated. And the morning of the seventh, I was scheduled to work also. And I may have told this story on this microphone at some time before, but the feeling that we all had about his loss. And this was just, uh, what, April, May, two months after the assassination of Martin Luther King. I was working that next morning as well. 
Both days, both the day after in both instances, I was scheduled to work. And the sensation of what we, what we all felt at that point in 1968, this, this sense that the country was literally coming apart at the seams. What will happen next? Where will the next riots be? When, when will we have the next conflict with police? When will the National Guard be? How far will this go? That was a constant sense, and this against the backdrop of the Vietnam War, and in the case of someone like myself, the, the horrific gut-wrenching notion that coming out of college, I might very well find myself drafted and forced to fight in that insane event. And, and it's inevitable that... that Taking the emotions of that time, this, this outrageously, emotionally fraught, uh, difficult period. Uh, I had been pelted with eggs and rocks uh, within, uh, I guess, was it before or after? When did that happen? Now, I'm trying to think. It would have been, it would have been that summer, that same summer. In fact, it may have happened. It may have already had happened. By, no, it was the next year. Uh, the next year, I would be hit with, with eggs and rocks as we went through a freedom march along University Avenue in the Bronx in what was then a very, very conservative Irish Catholic area. And it was dusk, and we were going to march to Fordham University campus uh, in the Bronx. And people were on rooftops or otherwise and pelting us and literally calling us commies and, and turncoats and traitors and go back to Russia, and the whole bit, because we basically felt what the United States was doing was a disaster. In our own way of thinking, it was no less insane than what we were watching Nazi Germany do in Europe, but we were the ones who were committing the evil, and it's just as bad to be the committer of evil as to be passive and watch other evil take place, and that's what we were doing. And naturally, there was the sub-motivation of not wanting to have to be involved in this damn war myself. That's always in the back of your mind. I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't a partial motivation. It was a motivation for all of us, all of us in college. It was a scary, scary time for us. And, and, and here we are remembering that as we also are aware of the, the scariness of the present day, but to that, you add another wrinkle, the scariness of the, of, the, of the differentiation that we have between groups, how much anger, how much angst, how much willingness to, to basically uh, yell and scream and to shoot up and, and, and all of the hor horrible crap going on around this country right now. The, the unwillingness of some people to admit to what Russia is doing in Ukraine at this point. Um, the, the, there's, there are so many things that make so much of what is happening today feel like, and it must feel this way for a lot of kids, kids who were my age at the time, maybe in their late teens, early 20s, there has to be this sinking feeling about what's happening in the country. But I, I, I just, <laughs> to, to pile on a bit, if I may, add to that the other really important bit of news that's, that's happening right now. And that is that yesterday, on the 5th of June, there was a meeting with Jack Smith, the special counsel appointed by Mer uh, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, to investigate all things Trump. Uh, Jack Smith has a reputation for being one of the most thorough, uh, hard-assed uh, special investigators or investigators of any kind that ever was. And it was a meeting 
that if, if, you've, if you've studied criminal procedure, as you do in law school, and I've done very little, none, really, uh, criminal defense work at all, oh, I was never a prosecutor either, so it's just not something I do. You have to be in it to really, really be and understand how the criminal justice system works. I, yes, made it, went through law school, blah, 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 no, but I'm not never have been within the criminal justice system, but I've learned, I've read, and I, and I truly understand. I get the nuances of it once I read about it. And I get the specifics of standard procedure. Well, here's one of those procedures. Just before a federal, uh, before, before charges will be brought, before an indictment will be delivered, unsealed, just before that happens, especially in larger white-collarish cases, it is quite customary for the defense attorneys, for the about-to-be-indicted, usually this is the about-to-be-indicted person, uh, to be brought in. And there will be a conference with prosecutors. And it will be, it, it, is, a, it is a politeness. It is a, it is a I, I'd call it even a hallmark of our uh, criminal system to give those attorneys one really good shot at having a face-to-face -face with the prosecutor. Now, there, there may have been any number of face-to-faces with the prosecutors as, as evidence was being established during all kinds of uh, uh, inquiries, as, as information is being shared, as, 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 as just there, there, there may have been any number of times when they were face-to-face. -face. But now, all of that process is over. The grand jury has met any number of times. All of the, all of the, uh, all of the data has been collected. All of, the, all of the interviews have been completed. And with all that in mind, with both sides knowing, and this is an important part of our system, with both sides knowing what the other has, knowing what the case is, that either side will make. Knowing the theory of the case, I mean, not knowing exactly what the other side is gonna say in opening arguments and what have you, but basically, no one will be surprised by what is going to happen in the trial. At that point, when all of that has been exchanged, knowing all this, the prosecutors call in the defense attorneys and say, look, we'll give you, out of, out of politeness, Here's your opportunity to, knowing what we all know now, do you have something more you want to say? Do you have anything more to add to this? Do you make an argument? Give us a reason not to bring this indictment now. Just give us, you know, we'll, we'll listen. We're willing to listen to you. And that's the meeting that took place yesterday, okay? And by all indications, and, and, and there had been a prior request for a meeting with Merrick Garland by Trump's attorneys. And, and by the way, this, this all involves the Mar-a-Lago case. I'm sorry if I, if I didn't preface this by saying that. But this meeting, it was not a meeting with Merrick Garland. There's no way in hell Merrick Garland or his first assistant are going to meet with, uh, with, the, uh, with the, the Trump attorneys. Merrick Garland basically has appointed Jack Smith. Yes, Jack Smith reports to Merrick Garland, but Jack Smith has been appointed basically because Merrick Garland absolutely is doing everything in his power to avoid the perception that it's he who is consciously going out of his way to prosecute Donald Trump. No, 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 no. Merrick Garland is staying out of that one. This is what Jack Smith is about. Now, Smith was brought into this process much later than many people would expect or would have hoped that he would have been, but here he is just the same, and he's on the verge after yesterday's meeting, which did not, would have produced some really 
bang-up headline about uh, a deal having been reached or something uh, that would have suggested no need or that there wouldn't be a subsequent prosecution. Nothing of the sort happened yesterday. On the contrary, given the non-events following that meeting, the likelihood, and this has been said by Andrew, none, no, none less than Andrew Weissman, who was the lead investigator for the Mueller uh, group, the Mueller, the entire, what, what ultimately produced the Mueller report and all of the different uh, legal proceedings and, and investigations that went place there. No one knows this system and knows the special counsel system better than Andrew Weissman, or no one who was in a position to talk about it freely at this point knows it better. And according to Andrew Weissman yesterday, Monday, Donald Trump will be indicted before the week is out. Donald Trump's first federal indictment, that for the uh, under the various laws of the Espionage uh, Act, uh, there will be, uh, and it should be a, a very simple indictment, Weissman suggested. It'll basically be having and holding, taking, holding, and uh, documents that are absolutely uh, illegal. The, the claim of instant, um, the, the claim of instant uh, declassification has been totally debunked. A, 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 a appellate uh, court uh, an appellate judge uh, actually went beyond saying that and said that there had been evidence of uh, collusive activity between Trump and his attorneys in the process of these documents being kept, stored, taken, moved about, and so on and so forth. Even, even the claim of uh, privilege between attorney-client had been destroyed in the process of this investigation, and Trump attorneys have been forced to, uh, to basically answer to the grand jury uh, under Weissman. Basically, they've been forced to tell exactly what happened. By every indication, by every indication, this is the most slam-dunk open and shut case that you will ever, ever see brought by a federal grand jury. Everything has, for all intents and purposes, all of the facts have been, have been laid out there. This, this sounds, this is even, if it's possible, this is even more, uh, this, this, this case against Trump is even more complete than the civil case that was brought by the woman who claimed that he basically had raped her or sexually assaulted her back in the 90s, where essentially all that was left was for the jury to determine uh, the, the costs that, that, that Donald should bear, the five million then, and, there's a, and C. Jean is bringing another suit because Donald no sooner than had lost that one than committed the same acts and, and besmirched her reputation and did the same thing all over again, and he'll be hit with another charge or something, and he's going to pay more money on that, whatever that's going to wind up being. The guy never learns. The guy can't can't turn him. He got, he. Listen to his niece Mary sometime. She'll explain it to you. If this happens, as Andrew Weissman is is suggesting, the case itself should not, and and, and this is really the the essence of all this. The case itself could be brought in little or no time. Now. Keep in mind the Alvin Bragg New York State indictment that's sitting against Trump. That case, by agreement of attorneys on both sides, prosecutors and, and Trump's defense counsel, that, that, was the, that is the one that is sort of the parallel to the, uh, uh, to, uh, the, the case or the information. You know, that's the Stormy Daniels thing and all that. Uh, Michael Cohen already did 18 months for much of the same activity that has already been adjudged uh, his responsibility and that he did in collusion or in conjunction with uh, unnamed person one or whatever, who everybody on earth knows was Donald Trump. 
But they've still put off the start of that case until March of 2024, okay? Now, it may go quickly. And uh, if, if it, it's over in two or three weeks, and typically Trump cases, uh, we're, we're going to see this going forward, will end very quickly because Donald will never be on the stand. No attorney in his right mind will put Donald there. Although, I will offer this one possibility. After he's lost his first criminal case, his anger and vitriol will be so unhinged that he will feel the only way, the only way he can basically express himself is to get on the stand and rip uh, rip the, the judge, rip the prosecutors, rip the system, rally his troops. I, I do not put that past Donald once he's lost his first criminal case. But the question then remains, assuming, assuming that the indictment comes down this week, as Andrew Weissman has said, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I, I think you, you might... Be not be faulted for betting that between now and the and and the end of I mean if okay let let's go way out there before the fourth of July Donald will be indicted in the Mar-a-Lago case that's pretty much the safest bet you could possibly make right now. Once that indictment happens, there will then be a very similar conference to the one that was held in New York immediately after that indictment, and decisions will be made shortly thereafter among all counsel, the prosecution and Trump's defense attorneys, about when this trial will be set. Everybody has to start preparing. Now, th those lawyers, many of them, and lawyers who were involved earlier, and some of them were off the case, some were still on the case, Remember, they've already given evidence. They, they have appeared, the lawyers have appeared before the grand jury and given evidence against their own client because they were found to have been in collusion with him or that they themselves may ultimately be. It's the craziest damn situation. Okay, there, there, there's, all, there, there's all the obstruction of justice that goes on after there has been the demand from the FBI for production of the documents. The documents are hidden, they're moved. How much does Trump know? There's been so much information in the last few days. Uh, a tape came out that showed that he still knew, he knew that he was still holding secret documents and blah, 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 and he couldn't show them, he had to move them. State of mind, everything, and, and in fact, so many, but so many of the charges against him have absolutely not even state of mind is necessary. Just, just knowing, knowingly holding the document, whether or not you understood how serious the nature of the document was, holding a secret document that at some point you knew was a secret document, that's it. Bingo, you've lost. Time's up. The, 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 go to the penalty phase. That's it. You will be convicted. When the jury is charged and told, here's what will make this guy guilty or not guilty, the stuff that will make Donald guilty is so simple and so evident and so clear that there's no way in hell, I mean, there's always a way, but there's no way in hell a jury could not see, oh, of course he's guilty. Well, if that's all this he had to do, and geez, if I had done it, boy, I would have been in jail by now for, for months. If that's all he had to do, well, damn it, he did at least that. And then there'll be the, there'll be the obstruction afterwards. Well, if that all, well, 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 he, well, he did that. He knew this. And now there's, here's the mindset. Oh, my God, he did that. Between all of the things that he can be hit with in this in the Mar-a-Lago case, the Espionage Act and everything else, Donald could spend the rest of his life in jail. If he's, if he's what, 78 years old right now, 70? Yeah, I think he's 78. He could easily get 20 years out of this. He, he, would, he, would, he would expire in prison. And it raises two questions to me. Well, some very interesting questions. 
And these are questions that, you know, the old be careful what you wish for uh, adage uh, begins to be applied. Now, the first is the timing of the trial that will come from the Mar-a-Lago case. Will it automatically have to follow the New York case simply because New York got in there first. In fairness, the information that was the subject matter of the New York indictment was preceded everything from Mar-a-Lago. The whole Stormy Daniels thing, I mean, my God, you know, Michael Cohen's been in and out of prison for a long time now already. And we're finally catching up with Donald. Okay, Alvin Bragg finally caught up with Donald. Um, does that automatically mean that the federal indictment, this first federal indictment, will have to get in line after that case? That would, if, 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 the, if the Alvin Bragg trial is going to take place in March of, of 2024, keep in mind now we're, we're going into a presidential uh, election year, the, no, uh, the official uh, candidate has not been chosen yet, but of course the parties can always mess around and play games with that. Trump, by the time that trial begins, will not be the official candidate of the Republican Party, assuming, assuming things keep going in the direction they're going. These are all unknowns right now. Will the federal case have to happen after the state. Let's assume the state case happens, uh, it takes place in a month. Everything could be done in a month, then sentencing would be somewhere in, assuming he's, and assuming he loses, but it would seem pretty obvious he does. Let's, let's assume he does. He would be sentenced in April, or late April, of 2024. At which point, the federal case would pick up and the federal case will be done, the, the, the witnesses and the information will be presentable and the jury will be getting that case in less than a month also. And now we're into May, we're going into June. And traditionally, traditionally, the official anointing of the candidates is somewhere in July and August. That's, that's when the conventions take place, and that's when the candidates are officially declared to be the candidates of their respective parties. At that point, before that happens, Donald may have already been convicted in both the Alvin Bragg New York State case and in the Mar-a-Lago case, and if the sentencing is even within the standard guidelines, he would be subject. He could be in the middle of, or he could, have, he could be beginning to serve a sentence or sentences or consent, however they, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to play out. Federal and states, they're, they're, they're independent of one another. They typically, I would imagine, would, but they're not for the same crime. So I don't know how this works. Honest to God, I really don't know how this plays out. But the guy is going to start accumulating uh, jail time or uh, not. Or some sentencing judge in, in determining what the penalties will be here is going to have to make some pretty strange decisions about what you do with a former president who has been found guilty, has been convicted. How do you sentence? What's your theory of sentencing? Do we put this guy in jail? Do we ankle bracelet him? How do we deal with Donald as a potential Republican candidate for the presidency? What happens, and this is the really, really, really wild one, even if he's thrown in jail, even if he's stuck in Mar-a-Lago or whatever with an ankle bracelet on, even if he can't go out and campaign, even if, what if there's some kind of a write-in vote or something, or what if by some 
the weirdest, most p bizarre possible of a series of events, the son of a bitch actually wins the election. Now, you know he's going to, assuming he loses, and that's, that seems to be the likelihood again, given how, how things are, are coming together here, he's going to bitch and moan and scream. He may be bitching and moaning and screaming with an ankle bracelet on from Mar-a-Lago or somewhere else, or he could be in prison. Imagine if he won and if he were in prison. What do you do then? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. The, the, the president-elect will not be able to attend his own inauguration. He is unfortunately serving a life sentence. Uh, he will not be able to uh, go to the White House. Uh, he Well, but... If he can't be sworn in, uh, he won't be able to become... So he won't be able to basically pardon himself. But then again, he also has the state charges. He can't... Un Do you understand the insanity of this? Depending on how a few weird things could happen. And of course, then we haven't even begun to deal with the reaction of his bloodlust base, his those who will stick by him to the end as he yells and screams it's a witch hunt, even though it becomes apparent to them and the rest of the world that if it's a witch hunt, well, they've finally caught the damn witch. What do we deal with going forward? What is the American legacy? What is, what is the damage? What is the impact on our system? to have a former president literally languish in prison. Now, it might be a nice prison. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be something rather different than your standard federal lockup. But what does it do to us, for us, as a country? What does it do to trying to put all of this behind us to lock him up? What does it do to not lock him up? Is, I don't have answers for this. I'm, I'm, I'm simply suggesting, and again, Donald brought this all on himself. It's, it's going to come crashing down. The, the amount, the, 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 the sheer weight of the crimes that he is going to be convicted of and sentenced for the, the absurdity of the total number of years that he may be forced to serve, the obvious reality that he is obviously not going to be able to be a functional president again, much less a, a free citizen. All of this is going to become very apparent very rapidly. It will become very apparent very rapidly, well before the first conviction, uh, criminal conviction comes down, and Donald is already yelling and screaming in all caps, and we're waiting to see what is basically going to happen from his base. But meanwhile, the field of uh, challengers to Donald within the Republican Party continues to grow. I don't know. I, I, there, there are just so many variables here. There are so many different balls that would be in the air. I don't know how this plays out for us as a country. I know in my gut, as I hope you do, that no one is above the law and that Donald should not be granted any special privileges in either the nature of his indictments, in the nature of the trial, in the nature of the convictions, and the nature of the sentencing. He should get what someone who has done the criminal deeds that he will be convicted of, he should get the punishment that goes with that that any of us would probably get. He should get no worse, but no better. But what will this do to us? Where will this leave us. Here, here's one possible scenario. Because Donald exists more as a show, as, a, as a, an image, as a rabble-rouser, 
then really almost, I, I know it sounds crazy, he's not real. It's, it's, it's what you feel about Donald more than Donald himself. It's what he brings out of you more than anything else. Because he is an event of his own making, because he is a fiction, and, and most, most of what he presents is a fiction, but a fiction that people buy into emotionally because it gives them, it gives rise to their grievance. One argument, take that away, remove it, and people will simply have to find another vehicle for their grievances, and they will forget about him and surrender him to the vagaries of history a lot quicker and a lot more easily than we might otherwise expect. Or there will be every effort made by Donald supporters who put their heart and well, not their hearts, not their not their their souls, not their not their hearts. Their heart they would have known better, but maybe they didn't. But there will be this desire, this true desire, deep desire, to burn the, the effing place down. And that, that that mode of thought will begin to supersede all else. That the, the vengeance against the witch-hunting system, which now has finally reeked it's, it's 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 just just dug its teeth and destroyed my president my gun my god my guns and my president that you know that crap there this now we've got to get even we we've got that, that's it that's it it doesn't work it's broken there ain't no country no more we got to get rid of it and i'm 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 doing a certain you know i'm, I'm being somewhat facetious in the way i'm saying this it's possible. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not out of the realm. Although destroying the country, of course, destroys the peace and, and whatever civility people have, people's ability to live in this. But, but that thought will be there for many, at least. It, it, it will be entertained by a surprising number of people. The number of people who would actually act on it, I don't know how they would act, how, how violent, at what level, with whatever kind of organizational effort, how the United States would have to be able to react to it. What this all does to putting this, not, not so much to forgetting, we can't forget the lesson of Donald, but what it does to putting it behind us so that we can heal and move forward, how all of that comes together, what the best way of dealing with all that is, damned if I can tell you right now. But what I can tell you is we're going to have to confront all of this. We're going to have to think about this. Judges are going to have to think about this. Juries will invariably be asked to think about this, although in the end they will be charged to think of nothing but the right, wrong, up, down, left, right, did it, didn't do it, guilty or innocent, and invariably with the way these cases are being put together, and I could say with the Bragg case and so far with the, with the Mar-a-Lago case, it's a straight up and down guilty as sin. So we're going to have to confront all this a lot quicker than anyone might otherwise imagine. We're going to start confronting it this summer. And we're going to confront it right through the next election. Unless, unless somehow the Republicans basically uh, find the, the, the guts, the, the gonads, the, they grow a large enough pair to say, you know, enough already. These convictions, this, these, these indictments, he really is the wrong person for the job. And he couldn't even serve in the job anyway. We would have to basically go through the, we would have to destroy the country to put him in charge of it. It's really the, really the argument. I'm, I'm sure it won't be presented that way to his base. But, but wisdom and, 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 a, and a little... Uh, a little convincing, a little, a little smart 
explanation, a, 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 a strong doses of reality just might help. God knows the Republican, there's only one person out there right now I know who, well, it's not official. Chris Christie will be running. Chris will definitely, definitely take it right at Trump. Right now, no one is. All of his people, all the other candidates are running against him, but no one wants to piss off the base. They're all playing cute. So, so this is what's ahead of us. It's no longer a question of whether or not Donald will be found, whether or not he'll ever face justice. He's going to. Then we have to face one another. And this, this notion that we can remain separated and that we have gotten so used to just being divided down these hard, hard, uh, you know, uh, cultural and 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 and. and ethical and truth and falsity and black and white and Democrat and Republican, that these lines are so absolute, we're going to have to get past that. Because the patron saint of all that is going to be off the field. Now, martyrdom goes a long way towards preserving legacies and influences. You know, there's still a bunch of people who whip themselves on the back and bleed like crazy over... Well, I don't want to get there now. Not now. But we got to do better than that. We're going to have to be understanding and thoughtful to one another. And it might not be a bad idea. If you know, if you know Donald supporters, real red meat people, if you have any way of talking to them, of just finding a totally accidental basis for conversation, just to, just, just to say something human and nice that goes beyond politics. Anything, anything other than total, total locking out of one of the other. You, you, M Mr. and Mrs. Lib out there, make the first move. Go out there and just find any reason to say hello. Be in any environment that is not threatening, not political. Just be, be, a, be in a restaurant, be on the, say hello to somebody. Make a phone call. I don't know what you do. But anything to say, anything to break down a barrier. Start with your own family. Many families, I know this only too well, are, are divided along political lines. Find a way to say hello. Find things that bind us rather than separate us. There's a lot more. Be, be as optimistic as Joe Biden is. And look for that. Look for the glue, not the explosive devices that, 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 that blow everything to, to bits. Not the anger and fear of Donald. Don't no, forget about pointing out how nuts he is and, and how much of a liar he is and why you should. Just be human. Be nice. Say hello. Start with your family. Start with your neighbors. Start, start with whatever's close to you. Assuming you're not in a totally homogenous area. Some people are. But families are funny that way. Reach out. Start there. For no good reason. Just find a way to connect. Because the single greatest weapon that Donald has had and used most effectively is to create dissension, disconnection, and everything else and all the anger that comes from an elevation of grievance and fear over love and hope. We've got to find a way past that. It's not going to be legislated. It's something we just have to begin doing on our own. I offer that to you. We're at the beginning of this process. Who knows? If it were up to me, well, right now, I'd I'd say, let's listen to a little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make Center Left Radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident and as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Center Left Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. It's no, it's, it's no longer even a question. Trump is about to be indicted in federal charges. There are going to be trials. The odds of him not being convicted are virtually nil. He will be convicted and then sentenced, and then whatever happens in terms of incarceration, and then we might have to heal. How do we do this? We have to overcome what Trump has sown. It must begin with reaching out and connecting.